You're listening to Addicted to Growth. Join us each week as we sit down with sales, marketing, and revenue leaders on the front lines of innovation. New insights, new playbooks, new tech, new lessons. Step forward into growth and development or backwards into safety and security. The choice is yours. Let's get into the show. Welcome back, everyone, to Addicted to Growth, where Kevin and I sit down with industry leaders who are changing the game in sales, marketing, and all things business. And today, I'm super excited to have Bridget O'Brien from Dialpad on with us. So welcome to the show, Bridget. Super excited to have you. Thanks, Travis. Um, I'm excited to be here. First podcast ever. So let's make it happen. Let's go. Hopefully, we do a good job. Um, so yeah, would, would you mind uh, telling us a little bit about, you know, who you are and what you're currently up to? Yeah. Um, so uh, my name is Bridget. I am currently a sales program manager over at Dialpad. Um, I've worn a lot of hats over there currently handling, um, a VSB team. So very small business just started a channel development team. So, um, trying to help source new meetings for our channel managers to get more active partners in the cycle. And then I'd say just handling like miscellaneous projects across the board, some in the sales enablement realm, partnering with some sales leaders on a couple of different projects. Um, yeah, just, just kind of dabbling in like a Jack of all trades across what the sales work needs right now. I love it. And, and, and I guess one of the things that I'm curious just to dive right in about is like, what sorts of things are are you doing right now to kind of drive success uh, across multiple teams? Like you're, you're, you have your hands in a lot, it already sounds like. And so I'm just like curious on like what sorts of processes or uh, things that you're currently building out. Um, Yeah. So on the VSB side, I feel pretty lucky that I'm not necessarily directly managing that team right now. So a lot of what I'm looking at for them is double checking the data week over week and um, sitting down with that manager and making sure we're on top of from a strategic point of view. Um, Is our revenue in the right spot? Uh, Essentially just checking the KPIs for that team week over week and then additionally helping with answer questions that come up from that team. And then for channel development, that's a brand new one. We just started that let's see, last two weeks of May. And that was a really fun project. I had to throw that one together um, in about a week. Like we decided we wanted to do it and literally built an entire team from scratch and all their processes and like started working on the KPIs in a week. Um, I didn't get much rest that week, as I'm sure you guys can guess, but uh, it's been a ton of fun. And so I'm directly managing the two reps. Um, there were BDRs that shifted over and we call them channel development reps. I'm directly managing those two guys. So for them, that's much more of a typical team management style. So we have a morning standup, um, longer weekly meeting, and then we usually debrief at the end of every week. And then a fun thing I'm doing on the side with that team um, that I stole the idea from our leadership group is we're actually doing a personal development side of it too. So we're currently doing the masterclass art of negotiation with Chris Voss. And so we meet weekly and like talk about a section together. And that's been a ton of fun. And I would highly suggest for any leader that's looking for ways to like 
talk more outside of the day-to-day job with their team, doing a book club or a master class like that um, has been a ton of fun. It's funny you mentioned that I, I did a book club with with my team, and one of the books we did was the was Chris Voss Never Split the Difference. Um, yes, nice. so yeah, his uh, like the late night FM DJ voice <laughs> has kind of helped me with my podcasting a bit. So um, so very 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 cool. Um, I I love how data driven you are, and and like dive mm-hmm. into the metrics because I'm I, I definitely geek out over that. For, for your SDRs, like what are some of the KPIs or, or the data points that you feel are most impactful or, or mm-hmm. the data points you can't live without? Yeah. So I think that when people talk about, um, I heard this term recently, XDR, that's supposed to refer to in general, the sales development universe, like whatever the title that they're given, like marketing development rep, sales development rep, like they all mean basically the same thing, right? It's just depending on like, are they doing inbound and outbound, both of them, one or the other. Um, and I, I think that one, so it all puts on the telephony space and channel is huge in telephony just because it's um, channel is really old and telephony is really old. And it's something that Dialpad is putting more and more focus on uh, to ramp us up for um, whatever, wherever our path takes us, whether it's acquisition or IPO as typical it is for a startup. Um, so specifically for those guys, I think a lot of time people turn immediately to call metrics and like email metrics, but we don't have any historical conversion rates on how many calls does it take to get a meeting with a partner. So I just had to toss that out completely. And I instead was like, okay, let's take some stabs. Like how many calls do you guys want to do this week to get to our objective, to get to our result? I I read um, cracking the sales management code a couple of times. So I that's like kind of how I drive everything is like, all right, what's our business result that we're trying to get to? And then how can we work backwards looking at activity? Um, and I think also when you do that exercise, it makes the activity not seem so horrendous to the people that you're managing who actually have to go and do the work if they understand how you got the math to the activity. So I threw out the activity side and I was like, hey, I can really only give you guys week over week objectives to get to these business results that we're trying to get, but that opens up the door for um, these channel development reps to almost partner with me to make their own KPIs. Like, what do you guys think the activity metrics are that will get you to this point? And then we get to go back and double check them. So it's been a really fun project. Um, like for instance, this week to hit our June quota, I basically told both of them, I was like, hey, um, if we were going to hit our June quota, we'd have to hit seven meetings each for the next two weeks, which seems like a lot. So what actually, is that number even feasible? That was the first question I asked. And they were both like, I don't know. And I was like, okay, what do you think you could do? And they both said, I think I could do five meetings. I'm like, all right. And then how would you map to those five meetings? And they both said, I think I can make between 100 to 150 calls this week and that'll get me the meetings I need. And so doing it as more of an exercise of, I'm trying to get buy-in because this is a brand new team rather than just set the metrics myself in kind of a, a zone, like a, what do you call it? Like a black hole where I'm just, I'm not doing the work. I'm just managing them to the results and uh, not giving them an opportunity to have their own opinions. Um, didn't seem like a good use of anyone's time. So I actually let them set it. And then it also gets their buy-in on actually getting that done this week. So um, one of them unfortunately is sick, but the other one is on his way. Like I think he'll hit between five and seven meetings this week. So the exercise nice. seemed to work. Yeah. I love it. I love it. it, it it's always tough when, you know, you don't have the historical data to, to set a benchmark, yes. right? And, and <laughs> I, I and I've, I've been there so many times, and so you're like, all right, well, we've we've got to start somewhere. But 
I love kind of looking at the the objective and then working backwards and then being able to kind of week over week, you know, just see like, are we on, are we on par? Are we not? And, mm-hmm. and then figure out how to optimize. What else are you doing to get like crazy buy-in from your team or, you know, keeping motivation and morale up with this very remote, mm-hmm. unique landscape that we live in today? So specifically with um, my two guys that moved into this role, and it was a completely lateral move from BDR. So um, I feel really lucky that I got these two hires in particular. They're both super eager go-getters, addicted to growth per se, like really looking for some personal development on all fronts and really wanted, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Really wanted to like take the opportunity to learn something new that they potentially like would never have another opportunity to learn before moving into the account executive space. Like typically, or at least at our company, to work with any channel partners, like you either have to be in the channel world or you have to be an account executive that's actually working with those partners. Like BDRs don't typically touch them. And that's how I essentially like marketed this role when I was trying to get these BDRs to move completely laterally into a brand new role in the middle of a month. Like that was actually kind of hard to overcome. Um, But I got these two guys, they're super excited and eager. And I think what I've done from the beginning with them is be fully transparent. They know everything. They know um, why we started the role, what it took to get it started immediately. They know where my gaps are on knowledge. Like, I'm like, we don't have any historical data, but this is how I put together our basic quota. Like, this is how I set up how many meetings I think we need per month. And this is why. Like, essentially going from, um, okay, our channel managers have an overall quota for the number of meetings with new partners they need this month, right? They're currently tracking short. So how can we make up that gap for them? And then worked backwards off of that to get the number of meetings that they would both need to set um, that would essentially move the needle. And I think that being really transparent about why we started the role and um, what would actually change the game and being as um, optimistic and as excited as as them about really moving the needle has been huge in um, getting a lot of buy-in. So, so I have one question, and I'm, I, I'm sure mm-hmm. Travis is kind of eager, see my eager face to jump in. <laughs> I know you're ready, but but I, I've got I, I'm I'm very curious here. So, it, it you know on on a lot of what you're saying, if I had to kind of summarize your just your management style, which which I'm a huge huge fan of, is just it's like authenticity, right? Like mm-hmm. is what you is what you're shooting for? Like, are is this realistic? Like, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's transparency. Right. And it, and it sounds like you're, you're just building trust and respect through just being, being real. Right. Like I mm-hmm. think, I think leaderships can lose credibility when they throw out, you know, the unrealistic unattainable goals. They're just, you know, pushing, pushing to, to an end where it's like, are you even a, are you, are you a robot or are you a person? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, those characteristics, like it sounds like it comes pretty natural to you, but like, where does that come from? That's a good question. Um, Let's see. I think that I've always 
been one of those blunt and honest people. Like I'm the person, it actually says this, we have like user manuals at Dialpad that you're supposed to type up like how to work with this person. And one of the things I say on mine is like, if you have food in your teeth, I am going to tell you. <laughs> I don't care if you're a complete stranger or like, uh, or like my boss, like I, I really don't care. Like I will tell you if you have food in your teeth. And I just feel like that's like basic humanity. Like you must tell someone if they have food in their teeth. And I think that, that just spills over into other areas of my life. Um, like that mindset. So I, I'd say that's probably like a piece where it comes from. If you're curious about like work history, we can totally dive into that. But in terms of like my just personality, that yeah. is where it comes from. Love it. Love it. Yeah. I mean, I'm in love with that because I'm the same way. I'm very much unapologetically me. And it definitely took time to get here, right? Um, and so one, two things I wanted to, to bring up, not to like backtrack, but one of the things that I really loved about how you've um, created the dynamics on your team is you, you, you've also essentially created that secret weapon, if you will, to your revenue engine. If there's a place that you need support, you can point your SDRs in that direction to then, mm -hmm. or excuse me, XDRs. Mm -hmm. I don't want to put them in a category. Like they're, you know, <laughs> they're, they're utility players and they can do a lot and they're super valuable. And I, I really love that you can do that. And I'm curious, like, is this something that you've done in the past or do you just kind of like <laughs> um. think of it? Yeah, so I think this is where like, all right, let's let's dive into the history a little bit. So I actually Dialpad is the first actual company that I've worked for. Um, I went to University of California, Santa Cruz, and I was a marine bio major. And um, you know that like quintessential when people picture a marine biologist, they're like playing with dolphins. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I actually did that. That's what I did in college. Uh, I there is a program called the Marine Mammal Physiology Project. Um, out in uh, Santa Cruz, California, they, it's a research project that like, okay, for instance, um, all of the research that was done when they had the Navy sonar that proved that it was going to be disruptive, to, like orcas hunting patterns. We helped build that research with the dolphins that are housed at the MMPP, um, which is pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> It's pretty cool. And so there's, uh, there's several different types of animals there. And that's a huge piece of my background is um, what you learn, what you learn working at that project is positive reinforcement training um, for marine mammals. But here's the thing, humans are also mammals. So you learn positive reinforcement techniques that can be used in every single part of your life. Um, and I think that naturally cascaded into a lot of other things that I did. So I worked in the restaurant industry for a really long time. Um, service industry, man, that teaches you patience. So it's like, I learned positive reinforcement, huge amount of patience in the service industry. And then um, when I was burnt out on the restaurant industry, as one gets, if you guys have ever worked in the restaurant industry, like I was just done. Um, I luckily had a friend who was a BDR over at MongoDB. And she had a friend who worked at Dialpad. And so in the classic tech world, I got a referral for an interview. And one of the managers here took a shot on me. Um, and the rest is kind of like history. So I, I started as like, 
it was a combination of an inbound role with a closing role for small business at Dialpad because we were still small enough then that you were comboing roles. Like there wasn't enough volume to necessarily like do one thing. And then um, learned a lot about the product really quickly. And because of my positive reinforcement, like training background, when I kept continually calling out that we had a need for um, better onboarding for our sales team, I was actually tapped to become the first member of our sales enablement team at Dialpad, which was a really cool leap. Um, and I was in sales enablement for sort of about a year. And I think that's where I got my biggest portion of sales education in general is trying to teach sales onboarding. Like I learned way more about the product. I learned way more about sales in general. Um, that's I think where I found um, my love for data as it pertained to science spilled over back into business. So Kevin, like that's where I really got it is like, science reports that I did in college, I'm suddenly like, oh, you can do the same thing in business. I can have a hypothesis and run an experiment and get results and decide if the hypothesis is right or not. Um, so that's where that piece came from. And that is a very long winded answer of, how did I get to the point where I started um, forming teams from the ground up? Um, I got an opportunity post sales enablement to move into the sales program manager role. And we were starting an experiment and we were trying to figure out like what's the best way to scale our team. And we were testing some different things. We have a couple different product lines and they were one of the main things they wanted to test is if we separate out the account executives into the specific product lines, what happens? And so we tested that and a couple of other things. And because I had shown a penchant for running those types of experiments, that's why I got tapped for that. And that naturally was like, again, that was the start of building a team from the ground up. And then I've done it two more times with the VSB and now this channel development. So in a weird way, I've become good at building teams from the ground up. And that's my very long-winded answer for how I got to this point. <laughs> you know what? It's, it's so cool, though, to see how you become very, very good at something with, <laughs> like, just such a, like, you, in such a unique way. Like, the, you know, I think just, like, your background of, of just general, you know, data in general and experimenting and hypotheses and then measurement, like, you, you did it in a very, very different kind of universe, right? And then brought it here and, and it still applies. So it's, I think it's just a cool, it's a really cool story. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, like anytime you throw in that you train dolphins, I feel like it automatically raises your bar of like cool by like 10 X, you know, they're like, Oh my God. My uh, little, little sidebar. Fact. Oh yeah. yeah oh, fun fact. Go, no, no, you're fun fact. Go. Fun fact. Um, imagine like a hard boiled egg without the shell on or like a hot dog. That's what a dolphin feels like. I love the pause. <laughs> like we're all thinking about it right now. Yeah. That's, that's what I was going to say is for, for way too long, my brother bragged about swimming with the dolphins on a vacation and he had this picture and he pretended this dolphin was like his best friend. Um, it was this really long ongoing joke that, that we have and we clearly have a bizarre sense of humor. So now that I can tell him, I know what a dolphin feels like. He, he may not feel so cool. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just thinking about the number of people that A, have never felt it and, and that just blew their minds because um, I'm one of them. I've seen dolphins in aquariums, but I was like, uh -huh. oh, this is, this is interesting. If you told me, the, <laughs> if you asked me like what's something you'll never talk about on this podcast, I'd be like, we'll never talk about dolphins, but here we are. <laughs>
I mean, here we are. I'm, I'm glad that I could uh, scratch that itch for you guys. You know? Like, now you can say that you've talked about dolphins on the Addicted yeah. to Growth podcast. <laughs> so I, we, we're hitting on something that I want to highlight, and I kind of want to uh, go a little bit deeper on it. But I, it's, the, it's this, the, the, the behaviors and the growth that you had in a marine biologist role that now equates to sales and business growth. <laughs> Crazy. Like, so this is like the bridge that I'm trying, uh, Kevin and I are at least trying to build for people. And Kevin, go ahead, take it, because you've got thoughts going up there. No, you know, because, because so Travis and I talk about this all the time, and it's like, if you're, if you're a high-performing human, right, personal mm-hmm. life, those things will transfer over into your personal life. But I feel like there was always this sort of stigma of like, there's your, your, there's your work version of you. And then there's your personal version of you. And, and the reality is it's like, if you're, if you're, if you're a dedicated person in your personal life, like you probably will be in your professional life. And there's, there's skill sets that can be learned in, in any facet that can be applied to professionals. So was that a conscious effort for you? Like, did, were you able to quickly mm-hmm. make those parallels and be like, Oh, like as I'm building this with sales, like I, I see these similarities and you, you made that bridge Did it take a while. Like, how'd you get there? Um, you know, I actually totally resonate with what you were saying, like personal life can explore into work life with a caveat. Um, do you guys know about the Enneagram? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. What, what are you? So, um, I'm a seven wing eight and my work personality is an eight, like hardcore. But I think like once I move into my personal life, I mean, I like lose my keys. I'm forgetful, but at work, I'm like, I'm nailing it in, you know, um, my, my partner could tell you, like, I, I like, I lose my phone all the time. I'm like, have you seen this? And she's like, it's over there. Like she knows where all my stuff is. And I don't know where any of my stuff is. Um, but at work, I'm like the organized one. That's like making sure we take notes every meeting and that we come out of the meeting with an actual outcome. I'm like, it, there has to be, I'm not going to have a meeting that doesn't have an outcome like there we have to ask either some action items that we take away or something has been clarified so I totally agree with that I think that um so I'm, I'm like let's see what are all of the fun personality things we can say I'm an Aries I'm a seven wing eight on an Enneagram I'm an ESTP which is like the doer um is what that's called for the Myers-Briggs and I think all of that naturally points towards like I'm not afraid to jump in head first on things, even if I don't necessarily know how to do them. Like, I don't necessarily read the full instruction manual before I start reading a piece of it or building a piece of Ikea furniture. I'll read like the first two steps and then be like, all right, I think I got it. And then check back to make sure I'm doing it correctly. Um, and I think that's spilled over into the business world and that I kept getting opportunities to do something outside of the realm of my job. And that naturally led to more official job openings um, of like, hey, you've already shown that you have an interest in this. We actually need someone to do this. Can you go do it? And did I ever like do sales enablement? Had I ever built a sales training or a sales onboarding? No, like I didn't take a course in instructional design or like how to be a sales trainer. I just kind of figured it out on the way. And once I was already doing it, like that's when opportunity opens at a company where they'll send you to a conference to kind of um, expand your knowledge, or you can do a book club with someone who's done it before, uh, talk to people in your network who have done it before. And I, I think that I've con- pretty consistently done that time over time. Um, I'd also say that Dialpad in general, I've said this to everybody who always asks me, like, what does it take to be successful at Dialpad? I'm like, take initiative. 
anytime I've taken initiative at Dialpad to just go solve the problem or even like announce like, hey, there's a problem, but here's my potential solution for said problem, that has led to more doors opening for me and a, a better um, better movement for the company in general, like towards our company goals. Yeah, that's that's startup life too, right? Like I think startup no one's life. no one's gonna hand you anything. Um, and, and, and I, and I think too, that's why, you know, Travis and I get super excited and, and, and passionate about like the, the enablement side, especially the onboarding side, um, which has been a big part of that. So what, what were, what were some of the big lessons you learned, like starting this out, like an entire onboarding program, which you, you've done amazing with, like, what were, mm-hmm. what were some excitements some some quick wins, or maybe even some things you, you learned along the way? Number one thing I learned is there's no good LMS. There's no good one. You can you can go look at all of them, and every everyone will be missing something that you need, because um, it's like there's no real good LMS plus content management platform. I think maybe the closest might be like Showpad Coach or something, but um, I don't know. There there was never one that I was like, in love with, and it's just because like I think that that's a great question for the companies who build LMS. Like, what is it like to build that software of testing, but also learning and like, how difficult is that? And all the mixed medias that you have to do. Um, so it was definitely one thing I learned is that like tools don't always solve everything. Um, and I think that the other thing I learned is like simple is better and don't be afraid to almost go back to kindergarten. So I think the the culmination, like the best part of my onboarding program was, it was like a three-day in-person training called Launchpad. And I use stickers as rewards. You ask a good question, you give an answer, we'll play a game to like reinforce your learning and like test your knowledge. Like, and we do them several times throughout the day. You can win stickers. And it sounds so simple, but salespeople are so competitive that it's like, even if at the beginning they're like, oh, I don't really care about the stickers. Eventually it'll just start. It's almost like um, the joke that never ends either because everyone just starts laughing along. It's like one of those where the joke can become like not funny, like stickers no longer funny and then they become funny again like if you just keep saying the joke it's like if you joke about the dolphin being your best friend there are times in which you're like this joke is not funny anymore but if you keep doing it eventually you're like okay now it's too funny so it's kind of like stickers and launchpad it's like you i would really not have the buy-in of some of these salespeople. they're just like too cool and then eventually they would be like okay now i care and you get the buy-in that you're looking for yeah, I'd be that person who's like, if I'm not walking out of here with the most stickers, like, we got to keep going. Like, I, I would, I'd fall for it totally. Yeah, <laughs> and I'd be on the other I, end and be like, y'all get excited for stickers, and then all of a sudden I'd be like, yo, I got no stickers. All right, let me go ahead and, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I think the other piece too is like, um, if there were people who never really did the buy-in on the stickers. Um, you know, it's like, I, I actually think about, I don't think any of them are still at Dialpad because they weren't, they weren't there for the startup life. They weren't ready to like go out, go get them, like do whatever's needed. They had, they needed a different type of company. Like it, working at a startup versus working at like some giant conglomerate, like an Oracle or something is so different. And like the needs are different and the way you do your job and like the onboarding that's expected is different. Um, and so I, I think that's like, in some ways, it was a good test of a litmus test of I could say post 
Launchpad. I'm like, I think this person will be really successful at Dialpad. And I think this person will probably struggle and choose to move on um, or will choose to move on from them. Like that's kind of the two outcomes. I think you just hit something that a lot of people don't think about and it, and, the, and it's the personalities of the different arenas. Like mm -hmm. as I step back and you kind of reminded me of this, Bridget, it's well, when I was in early stage startups, it's like, well, what were some of the things I was doing? I was reading books. I was listening to Audible on 2X speed. I was meditating on the subway. Mm -hmm. Like all these things, it's like, oh, well, what is it going to take to be successful? There's either people who do that stuff and then there's people who don't. And so I think it's really, really important to highlight that like the worlds are different, right? Like an early stage startup is going to have a different environment than, you know, a series C startup as a series F startup as a mm -hmm. publicly traded corporation. And so like really be cognizant of that for people that are listening that are, are thinking about, okay, which one of these you know, camps do, do I want to go into and kind of start my career off? So, um, yeah, I, I learned that. I learned that one the hard way, you know, through, through experience and where, you know, I, I was hiring and building a sales team and, you know, I had people with coming from backgrounds and experiences, like from just impressive logos and don't get me wrong, super yep. talented people, really, really good people, but it, it's just the, the startup environment was not conducive. Right. And, and it's not, you know, the way I explain it, and, and it's it's actually, it's really shaped the way that I, I interview and the types of questions I ask. Because I do a lot of questions around what do you need from onboarding? Like what kind of environment mm -hmm. do you like to build from scratch and be super independent? Or do you, you know, do you like to kind of take direction and follow a process? Um, and I ask a lot of questions to kind of figure out where, where they will, they'll thrive because, you know, I was super pumped. Like, look at these, like, look at these guys are like, you know, President's Club from these amazing logos, super accomplished sales reps. Yeah. And they, like, without process, without the proper onboarding, they, they, they fumbled. And it's not, again, it's not a, a dig at those, those individuals. It's just like, mm -hmm. it's like, what's your favorite ice cream? Like, there's no right or wrong. It's like startup or big company. It's like, but you just got to know which is the right one for you to, to lean into. I totally agree with that. And I, I think that um, this naturally leads to a conversation of like diversity of thought and also like diversity in the people at your company. Um, I've been really happy with some moves that Dialpad has personally made over the past couple of weeks. Um, that's hopefully moving us towards being a more diverse company, like just looking at us. I think that like, this is where I, I don't ever pretend to be an expert, even on like sales stuff. Like I just talk about my own experience. Like my personal belief is that yes, you can have diversity of thought, but if everyone still looks the same, you're losing something like it were, it's not actually that diverse. Like just coming from two different sides of the country, if you're like a white woman from Florida and then a white woman from Texas, like how different really are those experiences? Like that's where I'm like, it, it's, it's just totally different. And I think that finally we're seeing some real traction in this country in general around the black experience and truly what the black experience is like. And Travis, I would love to hear your experience as a black man in sales. Like I would, I think that would be really powerful. And I hope that you do a podcast where you get interviewed about your experience specifically in tech. Um, I would love to listen to it, but 
some things that Dialpad has done. Um, I, I spearheaded, we did a call to action hour um, last week where I just spearheaded um, trying to put it together and outline with my boss, um, who is a wonderful human being. I would tout anybody who wants to come work for him. He's been the best manager I've had ever. Um, and then one of my other coworkers who's like really good at organization, we put together an outline for this deck and then basically just sent it out to the company and got crowdsourced from each individual city resources that people in that city could call on, um, email on their local and city officials and essentially have some sort of call to action. And then we additionally put in a bunch of resources for education on your, for yourself, for your kids, um, like different resources to dive into. It was something that I was like, Easily one of the proudest moments of my tenure at Dialpad was putting that deck together and feeling like a belief in my personal life was starting to spill over into work. Um, yeah, that was really cool. Um, Dialpad has made Juneteenth a company holiday starting tomorrow, um, which was new. We did that one immediately. And then my CEO is also committed to every single open role that Dialpad has will require a black applicant to be actively engaged in that interview process before we'll even hire. And I think that one will be the most interesting one because like we have offices in India and Japan and it's like, it, unfortunately, there are just like no black people there. So we'll see how it adjusts over time. But it's, it's like one of the first times I feel optimistic that there are ways that the company that I work for, like the circle that I can control, I can influence the way that we look at like white corporate America and actually maybe just change it to corporate America, period. Um, and like hopefully really change some trends in tech that are disturbing on on all points and i am also happy to like talk about different things that i personally have done on linkedin to expand my network travis you're actually like one of the ones that i connected with purely because i was like man my linkedin is white <laughs> how can i go get some color in my own personal linkedin and get some different perspectives out here and not just the same like no offense uh to you kevin but white bearded uh tech sales guy Give that it to is him. like all over LinkedIn. Like, <laughs> Give I'm it to like, him, Bridget. Can I get some Tell different him. perspectives? <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, like you're you're not wrong. Like you're you're 100 percent right. You know, and I know um, it, it's it's funny how you talk about diversity of thought versus diversity of of like physically what we look like because I I think there is some correlation there, and I know you know even even speaking to just people in my own network who you know, and how their companies are addressing things. And, and it, it's funny, but you can have, you know, and, and you see it often, but it's like, you can have two very, very different people read this, read the same exact thing, the same message, interpret it completely different. And without that diversity, it's going to be really daunting to, to make change or to, to send a positive message that, that impacts all. Um, but kudos to you for all the impact you're driving, like taking initiative, like that's super impressive. And, and, and thank you for it. It's amazing. Yeah. And I also wanted to highlight a couple of things um, that I didn't get a chance to Bridget, but a, I'm giving you some virtual hugs and high fives for being super self-aware because you really understand who you are. And I don't find that often. And I even sometimes struggle with it myself. And so like, that's one thing I want to give you kudos for, like, you know, who you are and, and, and how you show up, which enables you to then help and support other areas of, of your life, you know, personally, professionally in ways that not many people listening to this actually can say they know how. So I'm just 
like mind blown by how self-aware you are on all fronts. Um, and so just want to give you kudos for that. Um, and then, and then two, I love your, your diversity of thought. And I literally just mentioned this on a panel that I moderated right before this interview and the importance of diversity of thought. And I just want to echo that because diversity of thought is a thing that if we step back and, and remove ourselves, you know, from the black, white, Indian, Asian, all the mm -hmm. different races, ethnicities, backgrounds, and just think about how would this conversation change if we had a marine biologist in it? <laughs> like if, if yeah. a sales, if a VP of sales brought a marine biologist into their conversation, and I see Kevin thinking already, what would that do to the dialogue? But like a hundred percent dead assness serious. Yeah. Yeah. Like what, what happens if you bring a scientist into a, a business conversation? Like what questions come up or like, how do they interpret a statement? Um, and like, you know, there's always that conversation of like sales is both a science and an art. And it's like, okay, then go get someone from the science field and go get someone that's a creative and see what happens to that conversation about sales. See, this is, this is love because I, the art community and the creative community are the people that don't understand business. And mm -hmm. the business people are the people that don't understand art. They mm -hmm. buy art, right? Like everyone's got a picture up on their wall and they're like, look at me, I collect shit. But like, <laughs> you really know? You know. But there's, <laughs> and there's, there's so much crossover too because you can have someone who is a creative as a trade, which is their business, right? And they can be the most talented person, but their business may struggle or not become what it could be because they don't have that 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 that's that that skill set or or even that exposure or that knowledge, anything. Um, it's interesting. Just think. I'm, I'm, of course, I'm like thinking about like specific examples of when. And like Travis, you're laughing because it's like if we're having like a sales meeting, and then also like a marine biologist walks in, I'm gonna be like, oh man, they're gonna say words I don't know what they mean. Like, <laughs> but, but I think that could be an interesting challenge. Like, I'd love to lead yeah. a thought experiment on that and saying, hey, who from outside of business that has backgrounds in science or in sociology or psychology? And Caitlin, I'm plugging you right now because. I know you have some questions, so I definitely want to give you the opportunity to ask something to, to Bridget and then definitely wrap up with, with how we can connect and hopefully continue this conversation because I don't even want to hop off, but I'm like, this is one of those where I got so much value and I'm already like, Bridget, you are coming back on for round two. I don't care what you say. Uh, yeah, sure. It's happening. Um, so, Caitlin? Cool. Yeah, um, something that I'm curious about, you talked about um, – you know, using the positive reinforcement, like that's something that you learn through your college education and then bringing that in. Yep. Would you say there's anything else like specifically from the studies of like marine biology that you have brought into your work life and used there? Hmm, that's a good question. So I think the other thing about, um, so like, you know, I, I see... <sighs> I'm a practical learner. I'm just one of those people like I learn more by like doing and like the experience than necessarily like sitting in class. And I feel really lucky that UCSC has a marine bio program that was so hands-on. Like we took so many field trips, did so much lab work. Like um, it was really awesome. But definitely the most powerful experience for me in college was working at MMPP. And um, 
like just a little insight like i was i was also a working student so there were days that i was at the lab at 6 a.m worked until 4 p.m and i didn't have a car and then i would bike all the way to the restaurant downtown, which luckily Santa Cruz is pretty small. And then I would be at the restaurant from 4.30 to like 11 p.m. And then, you know, I'm in college, so I'd also go out for drinks. So like amazed now, I'm like, I get eight hours of like a night now. I'm like, how was I operating on like four to six hours of sleep a night? That's insane <laughs> to me, just looking back on it. Um, but it's like, I think that the, the piece of, um, like the hard work piece that a lot of people learn straight out of college doing that XDR work where you're just grinding like day in and day out. I'm like, y'all should go try out the service industry sitting here, making a phone calls. Like I know it's a grind, but like at least your body is not physically breaking down on you while you do it. And there's a lot other harder jobs in the world. Um, so I think like the other piece that I learned is perspective on how lucky we can be to be paid really well to be sitting comfortably in a desk at in a tech job making like really good money for sometimes when I think about like what I do day in and day out I'm like wow I get paid for this like okay you know I'm I'm down for it so um I think the other piece I really learned was like perspective and the value of hard work, like no matter what way that looks, um, either you should come out of your day feeling like really mentally taxed and like ready to reset and refresh. And that piece is so important, like figuring out how you can rest and refresh to come back stronger for the next day or the next week. But um, like we do get a little cushy in our tech jobs and just remembering that there are harder things to do out there and um, things like cleaning up dolphin poop, which is as gross as it sounds, guys, and like scrubbing algae off of pool walls. I mean, I loved it because I love doing like physical hard work. Like uh, that is not a hit against it. I was all about it. I would turn on the music on blast and be like scrubbing the walls, like singing along to stuff. Like I was all about it. But uh, like anyone coming, is this advice for anyone coming fresh out of college? Like, I know you want to hop straight into the tech world and now is definitely a weird time to be um, like pushing, go get a restaurant industry job, but working in the service industry is a great way to set you up for success in all their places of your job. Because it's like, if you can handle an angry customer at a restaurant or like the, the overwhelming, like crushing guilt that you messed up someone's food order and now they're going to have to sit there for another hour and they're mad about it. Like, who man, that feeling like, it doesn't get any worse than that. Like, so even um, the feeling of like a meeting didn't happen the way you wanted it in tech or like your manager is like giving you a hard talk about your performance at any time, like having those experiences before you actually go into the business world, I just think are so valuable. Um, so yeah. I love that. On. Yeah, that's fire. I think it just, I think that's a great way to wrap up and it's like, you need, like it gives you a thick skin. Like mm -hmm. you you don't let any bs happen and then you actually look at the conversations that might upset people in sales and then i step back and i'm like yo if you just like listen to what bridget just said like don't be a baby like it, it, like your sales manager disagrees with you on a thing like get over it it's cool like you're not saving lives healthy. <laughs> right yeah yeah but i love your i love the your just like the perspective right because like when you really think about it and it's like man like we're so lucky to do what we do right mm -hmm. and it's like and it's fun it's enjoyable it's challenging but it's like it's really not i mean like it's don't get me wrong like it can be difficult it can be stressful it can be it's a lot of hard work like for sure but it's like 
compared to what? Like do some other really, really hard stuff in life and this won't really feel that bad. But I, I appreciate your, your, the thoughts on just self-awareness, reflection. You know, there's, I, I know Travis and I talk all the time about like, just like being really good people, being really good humans, working together in collaboration. And I think you just, you're, you're one of those people bringing it to the table every day and appreciate you talking about it on our, our platform. So, so thank you for all this. Thank you. This was a ton of fun, guys. Had a great time. So, so on a scale of one to 10 for your first podcast, also considering how much of an absolute <laughs> horrible start we had before we hit record, where, where does this land on a one to 10 scale? <laughs> it wasn't even that bad before we hit record. Just like some technical difficulties, guys. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, like, since I have nothing to rate it against, there's no historical data. 10. Oh, hardcore 10. Yes, yes. This is when no historical data is, is in our favor, Travis. Let's take it. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it for sure. Well, Bridget, this has been such a pleasure. Sorry if we kept you a little bit longer. Um, nope, but good to go. this was this was a, a great conversation and I'm excited to to kind of go back and we'll we'll um we'll send you over probably it'll be a few weeks until we kind of get around to like the, the post production side of things. Um but like we'll send you over a content folder that has, you know, some pictures and some quotes awesome. that you've you've used and then you can share those on your socials shout out to caitlin cool. for being the mvp on that um, and bridget if people if people want to reach out to you where where can they reach you uh let's see like i'm I'm happy to provide my email address um like i can just like feel free to use the b o'brien at dialpad one since it's a in the work realm i'll leave it at work and then uh linkedin is always great too awesome yeah got it love it so connect with bridget on LinkedIn. And then if, if you want, you can slide into her email DMs and ask her questions. <laughs> Damn, I bet every XDR out there who's like trying to like get into Dialpad is about to be like, got the official email and the okay, let's go. Like, yeah, she yep. said slide in. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Addicted to Growth. If you learn something new, don't be shy. Let people know. The best way to learn a new skill is to practice, day in and day out. Go execute something you just learned this week with your community. Until next time.